Thank you, orchestra. That song's on purpose. As we think about being before the throne, worshiping our God, we're going to head right to Revelation chapter 4 in your Bibles. If you go ahead and take that. Um, this sermon's, uh, we'll, we'll see how long this section of Revelation takes. My goal is, in not, is not to do a full um, breaking apart of Revelation chapter 4. It's really that I want you to see who God is, and let that affect your worship. We were talking about this this morning in intro, uh, intro class that we have as well. Does your view of God affect how you would approach Him and how you would worship Him? And who are we before God? So who, who is God? Who are we? And letting that affect us in our worship. I want you guys to be thinking that way as we continue forward. But a quick review of the last message that I did on this, which is a little over a month ago. I'm not going to do the timeline with Marshall's head bouncing. Okay, we're not going to do that. We're very, we're very good when he's away. So uh, we'll, we'll stay there. But the outline of Revelation is really shown to us right there in Revelation 1.19 when it says, Write these things, Jesus talking to John, write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this, which gave us kind of an outline for the book of Revelation of what was going on. The past things that he was talking about for him to write down were there in chapter 1. Some of the uh, views and things that he had of, of Christ already there things that he was told. And then we have the present, which are chapters three and uh, 2 and 3, about the seven churches of Revelation, um, which we see as being the present day. The church age is going on right now. Uh, the future starts right there in chapter 4, which you guys have probably already turned there, and it says in, at the end of verse 1, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. So at that point, we shift, and everything after that point in Revelation is future events that are going on. Um, and so we have 4 through 22, mainly, mainly about the future events. Uh, as we break down those future events, and it's there in your outline as well. If anyone's missing an outline, go ahead and raise your hand if, you, if you'd like one. Okay, so we do have some. I'm sorry about that, Ron. I was supposed to do that earlier. Uh, he's going to go grab them and then just uh, put your hands up again in like 20 seconds, and he'll come running with that. Uh, so on this outline again... Um, of the future events, we have the prologue to the tribulation. I want you to see that because that's where we're at as we look at chapter 4 and 5. This is, God is heating up for tribulation. Okay, these are the events leading up to what is going on with the tribulation events that are going to be happening. So this is where we're at as we study chapter 4 tonight. A prologue, this uh, happening right before uh, these uh, tribulation uh, judgments are coming on the earth. And we have the tribulation 6 through 19. A huge part of Revelation is this judgment that comes. And then we have the millennium in chapter 20 and the eternal state in 21 and 22. Isn't it interesting what's a focus in the Bible often? Hell is mentioned more. Judgment is mentioned so much more. And even in this book of Revelation, judgment is a huge section of that um, of, of the book. And so just think about how, how God's focused on that, and that'll come up again later tonight as we continue forward. I, I also put out the conclusion for you before uh, at the beginning of the sermon, just because I want you thinking about these things as we go. How, what is my attitude as I come to worship God because of who He is? I want you to think about that. That last one as well, we'll get to a little bit more uh, tonight, which is, should viewing God's glory affect my mission, what I'm doing, how I worship Him and praise? It affects more than just worship. It affects our whole life. 
uh, hopefully in your glorifying God. So a quick review again of what we covered in the last message at the beginning of seeing who God was. In Revelation 4, 1, uh, John is called up with a commanding trumpet-like voice, God himself calling him up to heaven. Um, we could say that he is going there to the third heaven, uh, described other places in the Bible, such as by Paul. And the third heaven, back at this time, they're thinking of heavens this way. The first heaven, our atmosphere, the sky that we see right above us here. Um, the second heaven is the out- outer space area out there. And then the third heaven is the spiritual realm, the spiritual heaven that we often just call ourselves as heaven. Uh, and then he calls them up as well. It says there in verse 1. I will show you the things that are future events, which we mentioned a moment ago. I should go ahead and read that verse. As after these things I looked up, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in the heaven. He had to go through something to get there. And there's someone who can invite you there. We talked about that last time. And the first, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here. I will show you the things which must take place after this. On to verse 2. Then immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. Uh, from that verse, we talked about that you had to be in the Spirit. No man has uh, seen God at any time, but Jesus shows him. The physical body that we have right now could not be in the presence of God. And so he's called up in the Spirit to see God at this time. Um, And then, what does he see? But the prominent thing when he's there is that there's a throne. Okay, that God is on the throne. We talked about last time how as we go through this passage, everything is about the throne. It revolves around it. In verse 2, it mentions uh, the preposition on the throne. Verse 4, around the throne. Verse 5, from the throne, before the throne. Verse 6, before the throne, in the midst of the throne, around the throne. Verse 9, on the throne. Verse 10, before him who sits on the throne, casting crowns before the throne. They wouldn't have to mention the throne all that much, but it's so prominent. Okay, and everything is happening and revolving around this throne. We also looked at it being a permanent throne. This throne is set, and that's a fixed word. It's not moving. It's not being overthrown by Satan. This is a permanent throne. He's been the king. He will be the king in the future. We mentioned Psalm 29, 10 that says, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. This throne is not moving. Our king of kings is there forever. Hope that's an encouragement. We also mentioned that what is this, where is this throne? Is it in this great castle in heaven? No. It says in Revelation 7, 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell, dwell among them. It's not a castle, it's a temple. It's a place of worship. That's what a temple is. And then to really throw off our minds about this whole idea of God being on a throne in a temple instead of a castle or judgment hall. He's in a temple, and then in Revelation 21, 22, it says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Basically, that wherever God is, is a temple of worship, and you should be worshiping if you're there. So we talked about those things uh, briefly there in the first two verses. As we head into Revelation 4, verse 3, read with me. We'll quickly look at these things again. Not the focus of tonight, it was the focus of last time, but I want you to catch this image and the parts that we're adding to it tonight. Verse 3 says, And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. 
And so we have up here on the screen, you can see jasper, the clear crystal like diamonds, like a diamond uh, that is there in his appearance of God himself. Uh, it, it mentions that jasper looks like diamond there at the end of Revelation. Sardius, a blood red ruby stone, and then an emerald rainbow. We've heard of the emerald city, but we've never heard of an emerald rainbow. It's so interesting. And uh, so you have an emerald type of halo, halo effect or something that is going on, which is verified in Ezekiel 1 as well with Ezekiel, who is one of the other uh, people who got to see an image of the throne. Uh, with that, it, it, there it doesn't specify emerald in Ezekiel. It says it's a rainbow. So interesting what people are seeing here in the midst of all this light that they're seeing these images of halos, of, of, of something going on. All right, moving on to... Oh, I also thought... I didn't talk about this last time. I wrote it in my notes. Um, the rainbow. I think that's interesting. If there actually is a rainbow there, you think of the rainbow as a promise from God. And I think he's sitting there. He's warming up right now to judgments. The judgment of the tribulation. But yet in the midst of that... In the midst of God being just God, there's some sort of rainbow picture. And I see that it could be promises of God's covenants with us even. So interesting to think on, uh, but obviously an awesome sight nonetheless. In verse 5, it says, if you look there with me, And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, voices, seven lamps of fire, which were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal. So there's a few other things. Lightnings and thunderings, we said, are just God in judgment mode. He's firing up in judgment mode. Um, we have interesting there as well, the, the, the spirit of God symbolized or shown here as seven lamps, seven torches. We, um, we probably don't understand everything about the Holy Spirit. Okay, and I think you probably took that away from that. I, I don't understand everything about the Holy Spirit completely. Uh, but God has symbolized himself here in, as a Holy Spirit form as seven flames. And we usually think of that as somehow the fullness of God being displayed. We mentioned this verse, which may have to do with this as well, the, Holy, the, the seven, area, seven areas mentioned here about the Holy Spirit's work. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom. And understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord that could be involved in it. But we also know that there's the menorah that God had even in the tabernacle. Okay, eventually they added some more, man added some more um, candles on it. But it's really a seven, seven candle thing. You think about the presence of God where he was worshipped and this seven. So interesting things going on. But at the very least, even if we don't understand it, it's amazing to see all this going on there at the throne. I hope that you're in awe and interested in our future there. Uh, verse 6 also mentioned that before the throne was a sea of glass, which we said was not necessarily water, but crystal, it seems like, is pointed out in other passages like Ezekiel one twenty two. But think about the, the glory of glass and light being displayed. And God being there like jasper and sardius, which is like fire almost. Okay, And you have this image of 
the awesomeness of God there on display. How would you sum up all of it? Light, glory, awesomeness. I don't know how else to display or talk about the splendor of the throne, just what we've looked at. And that's what he's seeing just in the appearance of, of God, really, in, in that surrounding area. Revelation 21, 23 says, The city had no need, this end, end is um, in New Jerusalem, the city had no need of the sun or the, of the moon to shine in it for the glory of the Lord it illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, massive light. Revelation 22, 5, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So God is light. And if this isn't enough to awe you into your worship and approaching God in worship, um, there's still some more things going on that we skipped last time and we didn't have time for. The beings... Um, by the throne. So if you are filling in the blanks, you have the word beings there that you could uh, plug in that we start seeing here in verse 4. Let's go ahead and look at that verse together. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. They are there on thrones, as part of the praise group before this throne. He's not just there alone. There are beings there praising, and it's part of the awe that you would have upon entering his presence. So there we see that we have 24 elders. You may have also thought that you would have said thrones there, which is an interesting thing. Um, who are these beings? Uh, most argue that it's either angelic beings of some kind or humans. And um, Larry Doig and I think it's humans. So if you want to be in good company, join us. Uh, we have some reasons for that. Uh, as we've discussed this even, uh, nowhere in scripture does it say that angels will rule on thrones. Okay. Also angels, as far as we know, don't age. So it's interesting to call them elders. Angels are seen upright always, not sitting, and they're ready for action. And we are not told that angels have crowns. However, uh, many of you can probably think of passages of Scripture where we relate to these things. Okay, we have uh, 2 Timothy 2.12. As far as thrones, it says that we shall reign with him. And what does that mean? You know, entirely, we know that maybe during the millennial kingdom we're reigning somehow, but then there's also, we do know that there's reigning going on and what they're all they will do there before the throne on, on these other thrones, they are some sort of leadership position thing that, that they have going on. White robes. Are we ever told that we could have a white robe? Yes, we are. Revelation. Um, actually, I think you have these passages. Would some people read these Revelation ones there um, for me? Revelation 3.5, Revelation 3.18, Revelation 7.13 and 14. We get some readers tonight. Get some people involved. Revelation 3, 5. Who's got it? You should be almost there. Go ahead. Will? Okay, so we have some of the churches of Revelation mentioning, hey, stay faithful and things, and you will get a white robe 
in glory. Uh, 318 is another church here. Someone got 318. Go ahead, Levi. Okay, I said, all right, thank you. And then uh, Revelation 7, 13, and 14. Go ahead, you're eager. I like to see these eager young people being involved. Revelation 7, 13, and 14. Okay, so some that came out of the tribulation that have been given, those who've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, white robes that they wear. So we know that we could be part, uh, well, we will be part of this, white robes, but we know that it would prove possibly that this is a believer as well, that are these elders. Golden crowns, it mentions as well in chapter 4, verses 4, that there's some crowns involved. Do we have uh, crowns mentioned for us? Many crowns that we're, were said we could be uh, receiving there in heaven. It may just be one crown it's referring to. It might be a few. But um, specifically, I learned through this that there's two types of crowns mentioned in the Bible. There's Stephanos, which is an earned crown, a reward that's earned. Um, usually came with some other things. Something that someone earned, did something for, and got that crown. And then there's Diademata, which is unearned. Maybe you got it because it's in your family line or something like this. And they, here, this is an earned crown. It's a Stephanos. We have uh, in Revelation 2.10 that you get a Stephanos of life for the overcomer, an earned crown for he who overcomes. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable Stephanos, but we for an imperishable, and it adds the word crown there, uh, things that are gotten by working, and are you one of those who overcomes, and our follower of God? Again, pointing, uh, Christians are seen getting crowns. These ones in glory have crowns. And then um, verse 10, there's several other passages, 2 Timothy 4.8, James 1.12, 1 Peter 5, 4, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. Lots of passages that talk about crowns that we could have. So these could be us as worshipers or as Christians in glory someday as these elders. And then verse 10 of our passage, verse 4, 10, which we're covering more next time I speak on this passage. But it says in 4, 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. They worship him who lives forever and they cast their crowns before the throne and say some things. We're covering it next time because we have to get into some of these songs and ways that we worship before the throne. Um, so, again, they cast their crowns seemingly to take them up again and repeat um, what's going on. So you can think on that a little bit before next time if you would like to. Why are there 24? Don't know. Okay, uh, we do see 24 pop up a few other times. Uh, David, uh, has 24 elders that he has in First Chron- Chronicles 24 that he sets up um, as leaders, kind of, of Le- Levites 
in the temple of service. These people are representatives of a larger group always, all right? So, in theory, these elders could be representing Christians as a whole, if it's truly Christians as we think it would be. Um, so some of us, potentially, maybe maybe we serve a certain time period as, as those there, but that could be you, okay? But probably, seemingly, Christians that are there representing the other Christian body, uh, body of believers that are there. Um, it's likely, though, so I say that these are likely glorified, raptured church representatives. You think about getting our new bodies, we can then be present with the Lord. As we get our new bodies, we have, we, in the way that we line things up, is when we would then receive, before the Bema seat, our crowns, and then could be in this group that is able to worship there in white robes. Um, also interesting, the other views that we have of the throne in Isaiah and Ezekiel, do they mention these elders? No, they don't. So it makes sense that they maybe aren't there yet, right? Which again points to me to Christians and Christians that are gotten their bodies back, even potentially as glorified, raptured church representatives. Let's move on to the other group that's there. I need to keep moving along because of the Lord's Supper tonight. We want to focus on that and not be in a rush. We have the um, four living creatures that are mentioned in the end of verse 6. Let's look at that together. It says, And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first uh, living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they don't rest day and night going into their song and things. So these four living creatures, what are they? Isaiah chapter 6, as Isaiah saw these, he calls them seraphims, fiery ones. And remember, when, when uh, we have Isaiah, when we have John, names aren't given to him always for these beings. It says, write what you see. Describe what you see. So Isaiah talks about them as fiery ones. John talks about them as living creatures. Ezekiel mentions them as living creatures, and he also calls them cherubim. So we don't know exactly what's going on. It's possible that they can... These, these angels show themselves different ways at different times. We don't really know everything about the spirit world and these beings, but some sort of important angelic being before the throne, immediate uh, beings for God's personal work and such that we see going on in Scripture. Amazing beings. Think about being there. Different faces. And John, he talks about seeing one face on each of them, right? We'll get into that. Uh, let me see where I'm at in my notes here. Okay, as we, as we cover some of these things about them, the first thing we see is that they're uh, in verse, the end of verse 6, in the midst of the throne, around the throne, and even from Isaiah's account, we see that they're moving. They're flying beings, and they're kind of just in and out beings. They're full of eyes as well. An interesting saying uh, they have wings as well, uh, which, which is clear from Isaiah and from this passage. Um, 
but this eyes thing is very interesting, and to, to kind of understand this a little better, you have to go to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 1, 18 and 19, it says, As for the, their rims, think of like wheels around them. They were so high, they were awesome, and their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. So somehow these beings with wings also have these wheels full of eyes that can see, kind of pointing out that they see everything, but yet they cover their face before God, we know from Isaiah, which is interesting in their humility to see that they are still um, showing their submission to God himself. Knowledge and awareness of everything around, but yet submissive before God. Awesome beings. Does this help you approach him a certain way when you see his messengers even there right before the throne? And then again, um, oh, the calf's feet is not mentioned in this passage, but they seem to have uh, bronze-looking calf's feet as part of Ezekiel's description of them, and then faces of a lion, cow, eagle, and man, um, John seeing from a perspective. And so he says, one has the face of this, one has the face of this, one has the face of this, one has the faith of this, and Ezekiel says they all have those faces on every side. So it's very possible that John's just seeing from one side, and he sees that, and he sees all four but yet each of the four seem to have all those faces on them and the wings get complicated. We start thinking about all directions and all this sort of stuff. If you start thinking about this awesome scene before, but don't get caught up just in the amazingness of these beings, which are amazing. But then when you think of how awesome they are and the power they have, we're still not supposed to worship them. We're warned in Scripture, don't worship these beings. And and we're actually more special. God created us in his image and died for us. And you think about in the amazement of this situation and who these beings are, God looks at us and sees us as his special creation. So I hope you can think on that a little. We don't have time to get into the songs tonight, but I wanted to briefly as I close my message part here on Revelation tonight um, talk about the different ones that saw, again, the throne. I mentioned it to you last time. There's a few other visions that were called dreams, even by Daniel and things, but those who seem to have visited the throne, I, I wanted to consider, this is kind of an aside, this is not mentioned, but as I meditated on this, and I think about people who claim they've been to the throne uh, and seen heaven, I want to think, what is God really bringing people to the throne for? What do, what do we see in Scripture that he brought them to the throne for? So I said it's a message from the throne. What was his message every time it happens? So let's just look at that briefly, and I think it could affect our own lives uh, some as well. We have uh, John there on the island of Patmos writing Revelation down for us. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, Isaiah and Ezekiel that we've made mention of, of a few of these in their description of these beings. Why were they invited to the throne? So few, what was the reason for it? So let's take a look at Isaiah. We know this passage pretty well in Isaiah 6, uh, verse 5. He says that myself and my people and the people I'm with are unclean. 
Then he says in 6.8, here am I, send me. That's where most of the messages end because they're just showing the awesomeness of God. But what does he say in Isaiah 6, 9 through 13? Judgment is coming and only some will be holy and be saved. So you as the messenger, Isaiah, you need to go and warn Judah. This is before the fall of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. He's supposed to warn them, hey, you're going to be judged if you don't get this straightened up. If you don't change and worship me. And he says, but you know what, Isaiah, they're not going to listen to you. Only a few will listen to you. So basically, you're going to be on a mission of failure. But I brought you to the throne for you to submit and see the importance of I am a judgment God in this fiery view of me that you can see. And you need to go tell them that there's salvation and there's something to turn to. Tradition says he died being sawn in two at the hands of wicked King Manasseh who reversed his godly father Hezekiah's reforms and abolition of idolatry. We don't know that for sure. It's just a a tradition thing. But he was faithful to the end, giving the message which he saw the throne, he got the message from God, and I will be his servant in this way. Ezekiel. In Ezekiel uh, chapter 1, he sees the throne, the cherubim, he falls on his face, and then God tells him why he's there, why he's having this scene of the throne. It says there, one on the throne tells him, Son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. He goes on later to say, I've made, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. goes on to say that the blood is on the hands of Ezekiel if he doesn't tell him. Ezekiel um, lived the same time as Daniel there, similar place there in the Babylon area. Ezekiel is a messenger to the captives of Israelites there. So the you know, fallen group already been taken captive. And he's given a message of warn them to change or I'm judging. Rabbinical tradition claims that Ezekiel died at the hands of an Israelite prince that was there whose idolatry he rebuked. So speaking that he was faithful in his mission. I think it's very interesting, the verse before though, that says, um, that the blood would not be on, on you. It's on you, actually, that verse right there. Uh, later in chapter 3, their blood's on your hands if you don't tell them what I've told you to do. We have um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. We don't know much about Paul's trip before the throne. It seems to have been shortly after his conversion, um, but he couldn't repeat the things told to him, nor was that his point in the passage that he mentions it is mentioning that he could brag about things, but that's not the point of his passage. And so he, he wasn't seemingly supposed to tell what was going on, but we do know that he was on fire to go and tell the Gentiles that there's judgment and there's a Savior. Okay, maybe reading into this a little too far, but we'll skip over that one. We don't know much about it. Revelation, why is Revelation written? Was it, was it written for John to go do something? Who's Revelation, who's Revelation written for? Oh, I forgot. Paul was also killed. I'm sure that picture is accurate. 
He served God faithfully and died for it. Who's, who is um, Revelation written for? What's that? Can't hear, but it's for us. He wanted us to know something. It says in, verse, in Revelation 1-3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. He brings John up to say, write this stuff down. I'm bringing you to the throne to show that I'm in judgment mode. And this judgment's coming, but there's also salvation. And I, I submit to you that he's doing this for us. Matthew 12, uh, 28, 19, 20, you know, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples. This is to us, disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the, end of the age. We're the ones now as Ezekiel, as Isaiah, to warn of judgment, the hell talked about through Scripture, and to tell of the Savior. We're in line. Are we stepping up as these other ones who've been given a vision of the throne, and then will we serve God the way that we need to and see souls saved, calling them out of judgment? They won't all follow. You might face tribulation. You could face death doing this but is it a worthy cause if you really see the throne and the message God has for you the messages from the throne I think you can see with me it seems like they're always were about judgment for sin and a messenger who needs to keep the truth and share it so will that be you I was thinking of Paul's response in Acts 20, 26 to 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Using similar wording to Ezekiel, um, that he's not guilty of the blood of the men, because I shared the truth. Do we take the truth that serious? Do we take ourselves in line of those telling this message to others as a serious thing? So when people... We're before the throne. It seems to have been instructions for them to repent and for you to go tell. A judgment to come. Maybe the wording of that is a little bad. Our concluding thoughts. So what is your view of God as you see this awesome scene of God? And we'll go into some of the songs then sung next time. But as you view this scene of God, will it affect how you worship him? Will it affect how you serve him? Will you catch this as a vision as well? Of, of what we are to be busy about doing. I thought we would close by singing the song that the instrumentalist played uh, there for the offertory. Bow the knee as I see God high and lifted up. I remember who he is and bow the knee. And I'm bowing in it to see, as I see his awesomeness. I'm also bowing my will to his and being his servant. Will you see that with me? Let's stand as we sing, bow the knee, and as the men prepare for our Lord's Supper tonight.